Hi gang, and welcome to Effin Hormones. It's the podcast about perimenopause and beyond. I'm Emma Goldswell, and in a minute, you're going to hear me and my three mates, Terry, Bina and Helen, bearing our souls, having a laugh, and generally airing our dirty linen in public about our hormones. It's what we do. Now, we do this so that you can feel part of our gang and hopefully feel like you're not alone. Because let's face it, this time of life can be pretty tough, right? Now, in this episode, you're going to hear from Dr. Stacey Sims. She's an internationally renowned exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist. Now, you must check her out. She is brilliant. Check out her brilliant TED Talk, Women Are Not Small Men. You'd be amazed, or maybe you wouldn't, at the lack of medical research that's gone on down the years on women's bodies. Well, Stacey can fill you in on that and more, and she's also going to tell you about the best way to exercise in perimenopause and beyond, as well as how to approach nutrition. Yes, there's a lot to take in. First of all, though, it's time for a catch-up with the gang. Well, I say the gang... Bina can't make it, and Terry's having Wi-Fi issues. It was me and Helen. What's going on? Well, I think I think the tech is basically mirroring the equivalent of yours and mine's brains because you and I are just brain fog central at the moment, aren't we? Oh my god, we have both done absolute classics in the last week, haven't we? I mean, the brain fog is just such a thing in menopause, isn't it? And we've just done absolute total. <laughs> ridiculous things this week. <laughs> Shall I go tell you mine first? Shall I go yes. first? You embarrass yourself first. Okay, so this time last week, meeting a friend for lunch, went to the cafe, sat there, five minutes past, she's not there. 15 minutes past, she's not there. She's just had a, she's got a baby, right? So I thought, look, do you know what? I know what it's like when you've got a baby. It can take you ages to get out. You cannot be on time. No, it's impossible. Exactly. Right Ordered myself some lunch. She wasn't there. <laughs> Ain't Did this you try lovely... Well, see, this is what this see, this is my other cock up, right? We we message each other on Facebook and um, on Facebook Messenger, oh. and I haven't actually got a number. Oh no! <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this is yeah, just my skills of like organisation, which, as you know, are normally very good, Emma. Helen um, is our producer, and she is. I'm normally on it, no aren't one. I? You I'm normally are... on it. She is on it with the spreadsheets, the emails, the <laughs> Google Docs. She is organised. Yeah. Well, I wasn't organised about this. So anyway, I messaged her, messaged her on Facebook, messaged her, nothing back. And so I'm talking into this lovely lunch by then. And I thought, look, do you know what? Reframe it. I just have a nice lunch. I never do this. I work from home and nice to get out of the house. And uh, right at the end of the hour, I realised it's this week, not last week. <laughs> So you're a week early for a lunch date. I was a week early. And I tell you what, I had a nice full tum. Oh, my God. Are you going to go back the same time next week then and eat yeah, the same no, it's meal? it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have exactly the same thing. It was gorgeous. Oh, I love it. Oh, dear. Go on, tell us what you did. Well, you know that thing where you, you've you done your weekly shop, but you forget a few things, so you think you'll nip in and then you end up spending 70 quid. Well, did that and then forgot to pay. Oh, <laughs> and I don't actually know how I managed it but we were sort of about a quarter of the way home and my <gasps> girlfriend just turned to me and went I don't think you actually finished that transaction did you and I went <gasps> I don't think I did I'd got very sidetracked Helen because I was um, getting the lady to take the tag off my rather nice waterproof leopard print mac that I'd bought <laughs> that and then just finished packing the shopping and just walked out the shop with 70 quid's worth of shopping crikey now because i'm a very honest individual and no alarms went off or anything wow because i'm very honest i did go back and i was there no word of a light for 45 minutes trying to sort it out i don't know why they had lost all evidence that i'd been in this supermarket that i tried to get my shopping that i'd walked out with it it was very confusing they had to print out every single receipt that happened in the last half an hour um, and I kept saying to them, oh, it's about £70. And then they found, eventually they said, well, what, scrap it. We'll have to put all of your shopping through again. So they did. Oh. And it came to 40 quid. And I went, oh, yeah, that is because the wine and a few other things are in the bottom of the baby's buggy and they've already gone home. Oh, no. And do you know what happens? What? The lovely lady looked me in the eye and went, do you know what? Have the wine on us. <laughs> Amazing free wine. I was so ungrateful. I went, Oh, I wish I bought the really expensive wine now instead of the cheap stuff. 
I'll tell you what, I mean, because there's a, you know, you can read in all the newspapers at the moment, they're all cracking down on shoplifters at the moment, aren't they? Don't... I'm amazed that she was taking your tag off and without showing a receipt because normally the, the shops that I go to, mm. maybe they're not as posh as where you go, but, you know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know about that. <laughs> they have to show a receipt before they'll take any tags off. Yeah, but I mean, several things obviously went slightly wrong at that supermarket on that particular occasion. But I think what was nice was that Clearly, I was trying to blame the menopause, and clearly oh, this did lady you? took pity on me. Did I was you? Just, I was like, because I did go back. I wasn't trying to pull yeah. a fast one. I did go back. So and go I on, what did you say? Party. How did you I work the menopause s- into it? I said, well, I just said I'm so sorry. I don't know how I did it. I just walked out. I just didn't think about it. I'm going to blame the menopause, and she just sort of looked at me. And, and, but then I thought maybe she's maybe maybe I've got that sympathy vote, and that's why I've got the free wine. Oh bless you. Oh, that, do you know what? Fair enough. And and that is actually that's quite nice and human isn't it because the fact is yeah. you did go back you did your best you, you you stayed there for ages while they were sorting it out so they must have just thought oh, yeah. well good on her do you know what i mean yeah exactly I that's nice re- my girlfriend was with me from home going where are you i'm still in the supermarket trying to sort this shoplifting business out <laughs> <laughs> anyway can i just go on the record and say i'm not a shoplifter i'm a menopausal woman oh, i did go back i did go well back. done yes anyway come around mine for a cheese and wine party it's all free <laughs> Uh, awesome good on you so there you go there's our little brain fog catch up we were thinking of having it as a feature actually weren't we had and like brain fog corner or what was the yeah. one that terry suggested oh i can't i've forgotten <laughs> <laughs> well let me check the effing hormones whatsapp group oh dear oh for fog's sake right there you go email us if you think that's got legs <laughs> Email us with your brain fog stories, please. Fnhormones at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Well, it is now time for you to hear from our guest for this episode. Dr. Stacey Sims is an exercise physiologist and nutrition scientist. She's written over 70 peer-reviewed papers, several books, and she holds a senior research associate position at the Sports Research Institute at Auckland University of Technology in New Zealand, where she's based and joins us now. At Stacey's TED Talk, which you must watch, by the way, is called Women Are Not Small Men. Brilliant title. It's about lots of really interesting things. But a key part of it really is about the lack of scientific research that's been done for, you can probably guess this bit, women. Uh, right, well, you're going to hear all about that coming up shortly and you'll also hear about the best way to exercise in perimenopause and menopause as well welcome stacy all the way from new zealand thanks so stacy we heard about you a long time ago with one of our previous guests on the first uh, series of effing hormones i think a trainer called jen brooks who's a massive fan of yours and she introduced us to this whole idea about how your menstrual cycle affects how you exercise which is something that we hadn't really thought about before so tell us a bit about that because that's somewhat at the core of everything you talk about isn't it yeah i mean if we think about it like at puberty we really start to see this divergence right this is where little boys become aggressive and they get their lean mass and they grow tall and then we look at girls and their body composition changes, their center of gravity changes, their biomechanics change, and then they get a period. And now we have a menstrual cycle, right? And so we're looking at the menstrual cycle and we see the fluctuation of hormones across it. And our sex hormones affect every system in our body from the way that our heart rate responds to exercise at the different phases, our respiratory rate, our autonomic nervous system. So that means like are we sympathetically driven or do we have more parasympathetic control? Also affects our immune system. It affects how we respond to stress. It affects how we can build lean mass or not. But none of that's really talked about, right? So if you're a woman and you're in sport, well, here's this protocol and this is what you have to do and this is how you have to train. And a lot of women are like, I feel like shit today. What did I do that makes me feel this way? when actually it's nothing they did. It just has to way their bodies are responding to their hormone flux on that day. So when we start really looking across the board and pulling not just sports science research in, but fertility research, cardiovascular research, we see these patterns across a menstrual cycle where we're like, hey, look, the body is really stress resilient leading up to ovulation. 
and it can handle a lot of load. And we have lower inflammation, we have lower oxidation, we can access carbohydrate really well, we have more motivation and more aggression. And why not use that to our advantage and hit those workouts really hard and improve that training stress and adapt to that stress. And then after ovulation, we start to see there's this little bit of a switch where we have more of a pro-inflammatory response in our immune system. We can't quite hit those top, top end intensities because our body's not relinquishing carbohydrate as easily. Because instead it's like, wait, I'm gonna take that carbohydrate and I'm gonna take those amino acids and I'm gonna build this beautiful endometrial lining in case you know we have an implantation of an egg. So our body isn't as resilient to fighting off things. It's not as resilient to taking on external load. So this is where women, if they're really trying to train hard, they're like, what is wrong with me? And again, nothing's wrong with you. It's your body has this other alternative plan for all of those systems. And it's to create this beautiful endometrial lining because our bodies were designed for reproduction. Uh, let's just wind a little bit to 2019 when you did that amazing TED talk that I really enjoyed. Um, and you coined the phrase, women are not small men, which became a real phenomenon, didn't it, really? And how did you come to, to that phrase? It's become quite important in your work, hasn't it? Yeah, when I was um, at Stanford, I was teaching a couple of classes and it always happened to be after lunch. And a lot of the first years are like falling asleep and not paying attention. And it was a sex difference class. So it would start a lot of lectures with, you know what, women are not small men because of this, 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 this. And it would make both sexes wake up and be like, well, what do you mean? And you, know, you just kind of feed forward and it became like the catchphrase in this group of students as well. It's like, oh, here we go. Women are not small men. What is it today? But it was really catchy and people outside of that bubble of students would be like, well, what do you mean? So it just kind of feeds forward because when you hear it first, it's kind of like, oh, wait, yeah, women aren't small men. But what do you mean by that? And when you went on to do some research, well, you, you asked the question, didn't you? Why isn't there this research on women's bodies in, in this respect? And you received some surprising replies, didn't you? Oh, all the time. I still get them. Why do you want to study women? We don't know enough about men. <laughs> and it's like, wow, mm, pretty sure that there are more women than men. Yeah. Mm. So can you, can you give us a, an idea of like the amount of research that is taking place and that is all geared towards men and some examples of where that doesn't match up with what's going on with women? Yeah, I'd say about 99% of the biomedical research Whoa. has been done on men. Even now? Wow. Yeah, even now. What? Historically, it happens because if you think about like the modernization of medicine versus who used to be the people that were treating. So you would see before the modernization of research and medicine, it was the women that had the herbs and the treatments and were the carers and that kind of stuff. But when you're looking from that historical perspective and men came in and go, oh, women aren't smart enough to do this. We're establishing this big institution of research and medicine and women can't be involved. So it's men sitting around tables with men and talking about research using cadavers of the men, using male mice, and it became the status quo, which fed forward all the way through. So it's looking at even in the late 80s, you're just starting to see women being included in randomized control trials. But even early days on osteoporosis, there was a study of 1,500 people to look at incidences of osteoporosis and estrogen, and it was men. What? They didn't use women what? in the study. Oh yeah. So oh some of the early research, they were dosing men with female sex hormones to see what the responses were. Wow. So now we see that here, right now, we're seeing issues with medication doses. Mm. We're seeing you know women have poor outcomes with anesthetic because it's not based on physiology and the way that women's bodies metabolize medication. It's just based on body weight. We see things like um, recommended daily intake for protein for women. The recommended daily protein intake for women is based on old sedentary men because when the REA came through and they're looking at it, they're like, it's about the same body composition and energy use in 80-year-olds oh versus 20-year-old women. So that's how they were able to, you know. So it's endemic in a lot of the things that we take as normal. Gosh, and how did that really inspire you to sort of go forward with your career then and, and make a change in that world? Uh, 
Because I was the problem child that always asked why. <laughs> Good. And um, I also grew up in an environment where there wasn't, like, it wasn't apparent that there was an inequality between men and women. Because um, I grew up with a sister and I grew up in a military household and there was all the encouragement to try to do what we wanted to do. I think the very first time I was kind of taken aback is when I told my dad I wanted to be an army ranger in the SEALs. And he's like, you can't because you're a girl. I was like, what do you mean? So that was the first time I was like, wait, there's something out there that is not quite right. So when I got into like undergrad and we're studying things and reading textbooks and there's never an association of women. It's always he, the man, they, but there was never she or the woman. And I just couldn't relate to that. I was like, I don't quite understand this because this doesn't directly relate to who I am or myself as an athlete or my teammates. So being the person who always asks the questions and asking why, I didn't get any of the answers other than why do you want to study women? We don't know enough about men. Women are anomalies. It doesn't matter what information comes from men can be generalized to women. There's not enough of a difference to really worry about it. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, there is, because I'm pretty sure none of us would be in this room if women didn't have a menstrual cycle and could reproduce. So there is definitely something there, and we have to understand that. So. And let's talk about the menstrual cycle then, because uh, your book, Raw, you know, at the core of it was this mission to get people to say the word period. And isn't it bizarre that we've come so far, you know, in history and people still can't use the word period? I remember having conversations with men and they lit- physically recoiled when you we say still the do. word period. So many men still do. It's really I weird. know. Well, actually, a lot of women do. Yeah. So, such a taboo, isn't it? It's weird. True. Very true. It's a little bit more open in the sports space now because we're seeing more professional athletes talk about it. So, um, I mean, even watching the FIFA World Cup right now, looking at the color of the shorts, right? Because we've had this big movement to get away from white shorts. And so now you're seeing, and if there's a team with white shorts, like, what are you doing with white shorts? Don't understand that. So in the sports bubble, there's a lot of conversation. Outside of the sports bubble, huge taboo still. Like, my daughter's 11. She's comfortable talking about it because, unfortunately, she has me as her mom. But her friends can't talk to their moms about it. So her friends ask her to ask me questions. I'm like, what? That's just not right. Like, a daughter should be able to talk to their mom about this. But there is still that inherent tabooness. There there have been some uh, athletes more recently kind of openly talking about Mm. their cycles when they're being interviewed. And that's become quite, uh, that's been reported massively because it has been such a, oh my gosh, moment. This woman, this female athlete is talking about period. You must feel pretty gratified about that. I'm like, it's about time, but what year is it? Yeah, <laughs> you know? true, true. Yeah, But that's only happened yeah. since Raw's come out. Yeah, it just in the past about four or five years. And when Lydia Ko had an offhand comment to the interviewer of why she was having a bad day, she's like, you know, I just had period cramps. You know how it is. Oh, wait, no, you don't. And then that went viral, right? <laughs> it's brilliant. I know, it was great. I was like, yay, now my next mission is to get people to say the word menopause and not cringe and have these oh, images man. of being an old, decrepit woman. Yeah, we are so up for that, yeah. Stacey. We are all over that We too. are on this mission with you, Stacey, basically. Fantastic. We really are. So this is your next book, then, isn't it? Next Level, focusing on the menopause and how differently we should be thinking about exercise. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, because I I said this in a conference last month and the past president of the American College of Sports Medicine got up and I got under her hackles because uh, I said the existing 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity is not appropriate for women who are in the menopause transition and postmenopausal because it does nothing for their health, their well-being or body composition. And she stood up and she was like, but we have a research to support it. And the first thing that popped in my head was male research. But when we look at like female research and we're looking specifically at peri and postmenopause, we're seeing that polarized training is what we need to be doing with an emphasis on resistance training. Because when we start to lose our hormones and we start to have changes in our estrogen progesterone ratios, every system in our body is affected. 
and we start having a decrease in the sensitivity of our estrogen and progesterone receptors. We start to see this change in our gut microbiome because we're no longer metabolizing as much of those sex hormones. And all of these things feed forward to the body going, oh, wait, what's going on? I better preserve body fat and I need to use my lean mass as fuel. So what we need to do in this state is to look for external stress that is going to create an adaptive environment within the body the way the hormones used to support. So that's where resistance training comes into play. And I'm not talking about like 10 to 15 reps because that's more of a metabolic stimulus. I'm talking about heavy power-based training that is a central nervous system response. Because if we're lifting 80% or more of our one rep max, it is all about creating as much tension to get that muscle to fire, to contract, and to be able to lift that load. And it's not coming from estrogen, it's coming from the central nervous system. So if you're doing that, then the central nervous system is like, you know what, we need more acetylcholine. We need more strong bonding capacity. And so it takes over from what estrogen used to do. So just to put that in layman's terms, we're getting flabbier and weaker. So we should be doing more weight. That's basically what you said. Yeah. But it's the right kind of weight. Yeah. Heavy weight. It's not the Jane Fonda, you know, two kilo little hand dumbbell things. It is more looking at Annie Tour's daughter and CrossFit and how much she's doing deadlifts and squats. Wow. Interesting. So what if your cycle's shot to shit and you have no idea when you're ovulating? Like, where do you start? So we don't pay attention to the cycle now because we have so many changes that are happening in perimenopause. We have more and more anovulatory cycles. We may or may not have uh, the same amount of estrogen that's being produced. So we look at it as a, we want to do a two week cycle on and one week deload. So we're looking at two weeks of quality work where we're doing some heavy resistance training We're doing some true sprint interval training or true high intensity work, not these F45 Orange Theory type moderate intensity classes, but truly hard work. And then we have one week where we're like, okay, it's fully low intensity, full recovery. Um, Because we need that difference in the polarization week to week, but also day to day, because we want to create these, these changes within the muscle. We want to have changes in the way that our body looks at blood glucose. And we want to have a crosstalk action between the muscle and the fat to tell the fat to go away. So if you're doing true sprint interval training, it's creating an environment where the muscle is like, "Uh uh-uh, I need to be able to pull more carbohydrate in, more glucose in. I also need to be able to store more creatine and have more available fast acting, fuel for these fast high intensity work and I don't want that visceral fat because it's going to slow me down so when we start looking at all these body composition changes it's partially because of the training that this age group our age group falls into and what we've been taught but also changes in the gut microbiome so if we're doing that polarized stuff and the heavy lifting it's going to increase the diversity in our gut microbiome, but it's also going to feed forward and create an environment where our body responds to the training and create a better body composition. Is this guidance for elite athletes or is it guidance for just your general slobby woman as well? For general. Okay. For, for us, general. it's for us, yeah. Terry. Yeah. This is what we should be doing. Get your leotards on. <laughs> I just had visions of being like really ripped, like really muscly. And uh, yeah, if I... D- if I f- now, because that's the misconception. We actually right. can't get super ripped and can't build a lot of bulk because one, we don't eat enough in general. So if we're looking at someone, like I said, Annie Tor's daughter, it's her job to be that strong and to compete. And so that is her professional athletic career. She has to eat a shit ton in order to build that muscle. If we're looking at the general woman who is lifting heavy and doing high intensity work and eating 80, 80, 20, you know, so 80% spot on, 20% is life. You have all the stuff you have to do in life. You're not going to bulk up. It's almost impossible to bulk up. But what we're after is having strength, power, and more lean mass than body fat. 
And that carries us through. We see research that's coming out in nature about 70 and 80 year old women who are put on more of a power-based lifting program rather than your 10 to 15 reps. And it increases their lean mass at that age, decreases their falls risks, increases their proprioception. So all of this stuff is not a training block. It's the eye to how am I gonna be when I'm 70, 80 and beyond, as well as what am I doing now? And I don't want anyone to hear this and be like, oh, tomorrow I'm going to the gym and I'm going to try to do a hundred kilo deadlift. No, if you've not lifted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we want you to phase in. So I have some women who are pretty confident and then they'll start adding load within two weeks. But then I have other women, it took them six months to feel comfortable enough to add load. So we had a physio look at them and see how they moved, saw some sticking points, taught them technique, used resistance bands, got their body moving well, and then just using the barbell to learn how to do compound movements, slowly adding load, taking the load off, making people very comfortable because we don't want people to get injured. We're looking at it as this is the pathway forward for longevity. We're not looking at it, this is a training block for Masters Games. It sounds like if you could afford it, a personal trainer would be the way forward because you need someone that can tailor it to you because everyone's individual. Because gyms don't really aren't really aimed at young people. Sorry, are really aimed at young people, and they're not putting on classes for people my age to do this sort of work, are they? That's why it's like if you work with a physio who knows how um, bodies should move, it's better than working with a general personal trainer, because personal trainers, unless they are very skilled in strength and conditioning, don't really know how women's bodies move. But if we look at physios and women who specialize in women's health or physios who are more in the sports world and they see sports injuries, they know the mechanics and how a body is supposed to move. So if you're looking at, uh, you know, just a couple of sessions with the physio to look at some sticking points, they give you homework to go away. You can film, you can see what's going on. You can use different apps that are now available for women who are peri-postmenopause, like Erin Carson's EC Fit. She has specific programs that are designed to phase women in, look at movement capacity. Um, I don't want to like downplay personal trainers, but for women who are one, not that comfortable in the gym, two, haven't been lifting, three, don't really know the mechanics and how to move, it's not the answer. It's like working with a kinesiotherapist or a physio who understands those mechanics and can give real homework through resistance bands or something like that to help the person understand how they move and then come back in and check in. Time and again on Effing Hormones, we find that the cultural expectations around women and how they behave and what we're expected to do doesn't match what we actually need to do at this time of life, right? You know, I don't picture myself as a nearly 50-year-old woman going into a gym and lifting really big weights because of the cultural conditioning And the way gyms are set up, too. Like, if you go into any gym and you want to be a new member and you're a woman, they're going to ask you, one, how much weight do you want to lose? And here's the cardio section. If you go in as a man, they're going to be like, okay, Mm -hmm. what kind of um, bulk do you want to put on? What's What's your strength weight? And back there, here's the squat rack. It's just conditioned that In my gym, I literally have an area that I just call the men's area because it is all men grunting, lifting heavy weights, and women don't go Oh, it's like proper gym gym bros, isn't it? It's awful. It's just a horror. It stinks. And they're all just there checking each other (laughs) out, and they're all, like, repping each other. You almost smell the testosterone. There's a gap in the market here, girls. I think that might be our new business uh, model. (laughs) As we see it a lot here in New Zealand, we're seeing more strength development classes and it'll be like 10 women and one man and it's all about compound movements and and how to move effectively and lift well uh we are seeing more and more home gyms and so you'll have these groups of women who are personal trainers who are like okay i'll train you out of my house here's my gym so there are definitely small pockets and waves of that coming well that's what that's what gem does isn't it bina that's what gem does you know so yeah guys if you want to go back and listen to gem's episode it's called sync your cycle and uh, you'll hear the trailer to Stacey's interview as well. So obviously there's a lot of advice there, lots of science there. 
there's a lot of our listeners, young kids, aging parents, careers, barely have time to go for a wee, never mind trying to find a physio. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, so are there things, that, I mean, I asked about if you don't know what your period's doing, you have no idea, you've already answered that. But like, where can people start? Like, what is the absolute minimum people can do when they've got these chaos, chaotic lifestyles and they're just barely finding time? And I know the answer is find time for yourself. But like, where do you start? Yeah. So it's, I mean, we hear it all the time. Oh, find time for yourself. But if we look at it realistically, what does that mean? Getting up earlier? No, we don't <laughs> want to compromise sleep. Like ignoring the kids, that's impossible, right? So it can be 10 minutes. If we're starting mm-hmm. with 10 minutes of like running up and down the stairs, that's a sprint interval workout. I've got very short stairs, so that's great. My yeah. stairs are very deep and quite steep. So. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Well, you can do box jumps and then jump up them. And it doesn't take much because this is a time we're talking about intensity and quality, not volume. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of my like go-to case studies. You have a woman who's in her mid-40s. She has kids. She has aging parents. She doesn't have much time. She goes to her doctor. She's exhausted. And he's like, "Uh, you just need to learn to de-stress and take time for yourself. It's like, (laughs) yeah, that doesn't work. Listen to more Anya. Right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And it can be 20 minutes. If you find 20 minutes while your kids are watching TV or something like that, you can do a couple of sprints up the stairs and then you're going to be doing some squat jumps or you're going to be doing some lunges, a lot of body weight movement. And you don't necessarily have to go to the gym. Like ideally you would, but we're talking about any kind of resistance action. Some people are like, well, I just don't want to go to the gym, but body weight's not enough for me now. I'm like, well, load up a kid's backpack with stuff, and then that's extra weight. Mm. So there are definitely things that you can do, and it's always short, sharp, and it doesn't have to be time to drive to the gym, take the class, drive back. Now what do I do? Because now my day, I've just taken two hours out of my day, Mm. and I just can't do that. That's not what this is about. Lunge around the kitchen. That's what I'm going to do. That sounds good. There you go. Yeah, jump around. I think, uh, and also it's affordability as well with you know yeah. cost of living problems right. right now. And everyone, and it sounds to me like talking to a lot of my friends, it's the it's the women who are sacrificing what they're doing, their pleasures. Exactly. So these home based things, like it, they sound completely doable. Yeah, and achievable. And one of my friends is the um, the Betty Rocker. And she has all these short little programs that women can join in for like six weeks and there's 15 minutes or 10 minutes. And it's all about the resistance training and how to get stronger. So there's definitely resources for at-home stuff to be able to do. But the big rock really, especially perimenopause, postmenopause, is getting that resistance training in. And when you have the leverage to be able to go and do compound movements and you know, maybe you're going to buy a barbell for your garage or some kettlebells or, you know, something else you can put in a backpack to increase the load, then that's what you do. So we have the ideal and then we have the realism. And the realism right now is that we're also time pressed and we don't have a lot of extra money. And if we do, it's not going to go to a PT. So it's really looking at what can we do in our space and our time to improve our health. Uh, and it's probably worth talking about diet as well, isn't it? Because we've talked a lot about exercise, but what about nutrition-wise? What should we be doing to improve our lives? Yeah, so the biggest thing really I'm going to say is the gut microbiome. And we see that in about the four or five years before that one point, menop- one point in time menopause, that we have a significant change in our gut microbiome. And this is primarily because our hormones have changed. The way that the body usually metabolizes hormones or, or makes hormones work is goes to the liver. These hormones are then bound by what we call uh, sex hormone binding globulin. They're excreted into the intestines with bile and then the little gut bugs unbind them and shoot them back in circulation and then they go do their work. But if we're looking at how we're losing more and more estrogen production and progesterone, we don't have as much coming in so those bugs kind of die off. And unfortunately, the bugs that do grow because we're stressed and we have more cortisol and we're sympathetically driven at this point is more of an obesogenic type, an obesogenic phyla. So the kinds that really make us put on body fat. 
and make us lose lean math. So when we're talking from a nutrition standpoint, we want to be able to eat as many different color veggies and fruit that we can. We're looking at um, protein sources like quinoa, spelt, those kinds of things, whole grains, and protein. Normal protein is really important. So for women who are perimenopause, we're looking at 1.8 to 2 grams per kilogram of body weight a day. Partitioned up across the day through, you know, about 30 or 40 grams, which is palm and a half size portion. And it doesn't have to be that much chicken breast. It doesn't have to be that much lean meat. You're looking at a little bit of chicken breast. You're looking at nuts, seeds, legumes. There's so many different types of protein out there. But making sure that you put the mainstay of protein and fresh fruit and veg to really boost up that gut microbiome and to help preserve lean mass. Can I just say that I have spent the past two and a half years that we've been doing this podcast thinking, have I been perimenopausal? Have I been perimenopausal? Or have all my symptoms been um, due to my gut health problems? Because I, I have I've had a lot of gut health problems. And you've basically just told me, that, yes, it's my, my hormones. Yes. And, and uh, thank you for answering that question because I've never, I've been like, is this, is this perimenopause causing this? You know, and I've had com- completely overhauled my diet because I've had, end up having leaky gut because of you know real problems with my gut health so now I know what's been going on yeah properly yeah you know yeah and a lot of people don't and one of the things that um women are afraid to think about and use is glutamine and creatine but we know that glutamine is really key for maintaining intestinal integrity and creatine although you know people associate it as a bodybuilding supplement it's so critical for brain health and gut health, especially at this point in our lives, because you know, we're experiencing more anxiety and depression and mood swings. And if we have more creatine on board, we see that our brain energetics are better. So we've seen some randomized controlled trials where women have been on serotonin reuptake inhibitors and have gotten into severe depressive symptoms. And then they've been given creatine with their SSRI and they come out of it a lot faster than women who don't use it because creatine is so important for all those fast energetics in the body. Is there a natural source of, for that? Yeah. If you are look, so our body produces about one gram a day through the liver and ideally we want to get between three and five grams. If you're eating a lot of animal products, so chicken breast, lean meat, any kind of um, more animal protein, you'll get creatine. But when we start looking at um, a lot of women in peri-postmenopause are like, oh, I don't want to eat that. I don't want to eat that much. I'm putting weight on. We don't end up eating as much as we need to get what we need. So this is where using a little bit of supplementation is is. It's a half a teaspoon of creatine monohydrate a day. You can put it in your coffee and it just does so much for um, your whole uh, heart health, gut health, brain health, muscle health. Um, And we store 70% of what men do and we start to lose more as we age. Is that that like the stuff that's in protein powders? Yeah, you'll see it in the, you know, like the bodybuilding section. Creatine monohydrate. But okay. Yeah. But they're all looking at it as take 20 grams a day with carbohydrate and caffeine to bulk up. And that's not what this is about. It's a half a teaspoon or you know three grams a day. And it's a very low dose. You don't have side effects. But it does help with, with the mucosal lining of your intestines. So it helps maintain it, reduces leaky gut. Um, we see it again with mood and, and um, neurotransmitter fluctuations. It helps with that. Uh, again, it helps, of course, with muscle, muscle metabolism because it's essential for skeletal muscle contraction. And it also helps with, with heart and, and heart rhythms because creatine is also used for that. I've never heard of this. Wow. I've been all down though. Yeah, I'm yeah. So I've got, I've got my notes so I can <laughs> go and go. find it and <laughs> start taking it. Yeah, sounds good. And what, what are your thoughts on HRT? Because I've certainly been down that journey and been taking HRT for a couple of years now. But uh, is it something that you think helps people or people should be going down a more um, exercise and nutrition route? I think it's a tool in the toolbox for all of the things because every woman's a bit different, right? And so we have like this banquet table of all the things that we have available 
or we should have available to us for getting through the menopause transition. And there are women who definitely need to use menopause hormone therapy because symptomology is bad, mood, um, anxiety, rage, all of these things. The one caveat that I have with it are women who lean on it because they want better body composition or they want to be like they were when they were in their late 30s. That tends to be like the conversation that's being had in popular media where you want to go on HRT because it helps, quote, preserve life. It helps get rid of this female deficiency hormone syndrome. But that's not what it's about. It's a true medication and it is definitely a viable option. But we want to put it in conjunction with exercise and dietary changes because you still want to have the positive aspects of what the polarized training does as an adaptation to help preserve lean mass and keep um, the cereal fat down. Because we know that even if you're using micronized estradiol and micronized progesterone, which are sometimes called body identical, that it does nothing for body composition. It slows the rate of lean mass loss. It slows the rate of the cereal fat gain, but it doesn't do anything to change that loss. This is why you need those those different exercise and nutrition habits to help with it. Well, I think Dr. Louise Newsom said something similar, didn't she, in the sense that women will come to her and demand HRT, but they're still drinking a bottle of wine and eating mm. ready meals every night, you know. So it's not going yeah. to massively change their life unless they do a bit of lifestyle stuff as well. Yeah. And what's it like in New Zealand in terms of having it prescribed and getting doctors to be understanding? Because there's been a lot of talk on our podcast about how difficult it's been to get HRT and a lot of us have been prescribed antidepressants in error initially and, and it's been and it's a bit of a battle to get access to it. And even when you get it prescribed, they country keeps running out of it so what's the state in new zealand the whole world is running out of it there's like this big huge like rush to have mhc Mm. and it here it depends on the physician but because new zealand is small and we're having lots of positive conversations about it there are more and more physicians that are um aware and how to prescribe it but then there's also more of the older school who's like, you don't need it. It's dangerous. Mm. It causes all these issues because they're still referring back to like the Women's Health Initiative data. And like full disclosure, I worked on that data set. My mentor at Stanford oh. was one of the PIs for the Women's Health Initiative. But the goal of that project was looking at late menopausal, late postmenopausal women. So women who were in their 60s or older and had been menopausal for at least 10 years, you don't want to start them on hormones because all the receptor sites and everything have changed. But then you look at the UK women's um, study where they're looking at peri and early postmenopause using hormone therapy, and there are positive outcomes. So depending on which physician you're talking to, they're either referring back to WHI or they look at the UK study. And we have more and more physicians here that will be like, yep, all the symptomology, the fatigue, the brain fog, the low iron, you'd be really, it would benefit you to use low-dose HRT. Um, so it's it's interesting depending on the subset, because if we're up in Auckland and you have a higher population or here, Mount Maunganui, where you have a lot of people from Auckland and international people that are coming in, it's a much more liberal conversation and, and readily prescribed. But if you go to the South Island and you're going into the smaller towns, you'll have more of the old school where it's like, no, 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 no. So it is a bit of a postcode lottery then as to whether you're going to get it or not. Yeah. Mm. And it's more word of mouth of which position to go to. Seems to be global, this. Interesting. Yeah. We've heard similar stories, haven't we? Yeah. 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 And you know, if it was men and they needed it, there would never be that issue, right? It would be oh, free. Yeah. yeah, it would be plentiful free. and free. Yes. Yeah, of course it would be. Exactly. <laughs> they put Viagra in the water. <laughs> <laughs> Bina, you had an interesting question, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, I think there's been a little bit more research now around uh, people from different ethnic minorities. For example, South Asian women experience menopause earlier than Caucasian women. Yeah. Do you have any sort of different advice or anything like, say, I should be doing differently? 
should you be doing something different based on ethnic backgrounds right. and sociocultural? So when we look from the physiological standpoint, no, it's the same as if someone's experiencing um, me medical menopause, right? So it comes early and it's severe. Um, so the changes from a physiological standpoint are the same regardless of ethnicity. But what we do see is the severity of the symptomology is different between ethnic groups as well as the sociocultural acceptances around it. Mm -hmm. So if we're Westernized and we're African-American or we're Latina or we're South Asian, then our symptomology might be more severe. But from a cultural standpoint, we don't talk about it that much. No. So from that physiological perspective, it's the same advice. But from the severity of symptomology, this is where you're going to have to push to empower yourself and to be able to seek out the physician that's actually going to help you. So we also know there's that racial disparity within the medical system mm -hmm. where a lot of non-white individuals don't get the same kind of care as white individuals because of the whole medical idea mm, around what is medicine and the different sociocultural things that are wrapped up in medicine. Okay. So just start sooner, basically. And it's yeah. just... Pretty much, yeah. Push harder. We spend so much time talking about how women talking to each other and, and, and lifting each other up is so important, isn't it? Because you feel shit and you, say, right. you don't feel like fighting for yourself. This is common experience of not being taken seriously. It's infuriating. I, it's just... You know, that, yeah, yeah, that, we, that we, we, we have to keep fighting against, basically, and yeah. supporting each other through. Yeah, I mean, commu community is sort of the biggest sort of thing, isn't it? There's a, a group here, the Minnow Doctor Network. And so they're all physicians that have joined together and have voices. And so they can refer. So if a patient comes in to see them and they're like, so do you have any friends who are experiencing the same thing? Then they can refer to people down the, the chain in different parts of the country, um, which I think is really yeah. interesting. And I wish it was widespread where your physician actually takes an interest in what you're expressing. And it's like, what about your circle of friends? Are they experiencing these things? Do you talk about it? If so, let's get them help too. So it's the empowerment from the medical community, which is really not heard of. That's amazing. Brilliant. Thank you, Stacey. Sort of revelatory. Listen, it's so yeah. great to meet you. I mean, when Jem told us about you, we were like, this is such a brilliant idea. And then what? when watched your TED talk, and it was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh -huh. Fantastic. Thank awesome. you. Awesome, thanks. So, Thanks. All power to you. And yeah, like I say, let's spread the word. Everywhere. UK, yeah. New Zealand, yeah. the state, everywhere. Yeah. Thank you. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. Best of luck with the book. And thank you so much for talking to us at FN Hormones. You're thank welcome, you, Stacey. Really thank interesting. you. Round of applause. And to you too. Yeah. Great questions. Great conversation. Great company. <laughs> Too kind. <laughs> Amazing. Great thank to you. meet you. So, Helen, you've got a few details on some of the things that Stacey mentioned there. Is that right? I just wanted to recap on a couple of things, actually, because she mentioned a couple of people who I don't know who they are. So I thought it was Annie Tor's daughter. And I thought she meant, Annie, who's Annie Tor and who is her daughter? Anyway, it's an Icelandic athlete oh. who is called Annie Tor's daughter. And she's a CrossFit athlete. And, um, and it was really interesting. because one of the things you asked Stacey was like, oh, are we going to bulk up? And, and um, she's not bulking. She looks incredible, but she's not, she's not bulking. She looks amazing. Absolutely amazing. Amazing. But anyway, so she's an Icelandic CrossFit athlete. And then Stacey mentioned the Betty Rocker, who's got like these online courses. So Betty is an exercise and kinesiology coach and nutrition practitioner. I had to look up kinesiology as well, say, which is the yeah. study of the mechanics of body Movement. movements. And it's often used in sport performance and preventing injuries. But she's like a nutrition coach as well. And mm. honestly, you go on a website. She is fucking ripped, man. Is her, name, is, like, whoa. is her name Betty Rocker as no, her name is, I can't remember what her real name is, but um, she calls herself The Betty, I think she calls herself The Betty Rocker. Anyway, if you look, Betty if you Google Rocker. The Betty Rocker, okay. and like, she's got these like online 30 day challenges you can check out. I'm not going to get so status quo or anything. Really no, I know, I know. <laughs> it's because she's rocking her life. <laughs> oh, well, here we go. Uh, Betty Rocker, here she is, look at her. She is ripped. What did you put in the search engine? <laughs> <laughs> 
So we're looking at lots of pictures of a very scantily clad, extremely ripped woman. Totally yes. not what I expected. That, that, uh, I, I expected a woman in a rocking chair. <laughs> You know, yeah, most most of us don't want to look like that. Most of us just don't want our belly hanging over the top of our jeans Basically. and just to look a bit more yeah. trim. We don't want to look or just muscly and feel, or... and feel good and feel and feel yeah. strong. And actually, it's, it's less about how you look; it's more about how you feel. Yeah, and that's why I did Slimming right. World. It's like I I don't particularly care what those numbers say on the scale. I want to feel good about myself. Yeah, that's yeah. what it's more about, isn't it? Yeah. What I took away from Stacey's conversation though was the it's it's not just about now; it's about the, f- the future health and it's about frailty in your future and in your 70s and 80s yeah. or as, and beyond as and this said. is the big thing I took away was strength training yeah mm. and actually so I've had a dusty a pile of weights that have been gathering dust for a few years in the corner of my uh, living room and I have started using them yay oh, well yeah. fantastic clap. and not only that I'm going to sound like a right twat now. Go on. I joined the gym. Yay! Yay. Sweaty man's one. Last week, yes. Sweaty man's one. Is there a women's corner now? No, there's a hole upstairs that I didn't know about. (laughs) No, it's not not for women. It's all mixed. It's just the the downstairs of the gym is where all the blokes go, and then they're all like, what are you calling it? Um, Weightlifting. Spotting each other and all this. And they're all... Oh, yeah. I mean... Repping each other. It's the most homoerotic stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, whether they're really gay or bizarre, not, whether they're gay or not. But yeah. anyway, uh, no. But the whole of the upstairs, which is where most of these other machines and things are, uh, no, perfectly fine. Oh, doesn't great. smell sweat at all. Great, yeah, yeah. great, good, brilliant. I think I think what we've got to remember about this is that, like, you know, we've we've spoken to someone who's like internationally renowned within the sporting world, and you know, it can be a bit intimidating when you see people yeah. who do look like that because these, the, she, you know, she works with all these elite people. This is the That's elite it. thing. But I think it's really important that actually you know, we get the benefits of this elite, of this research and knowledge for oh, these elite people that actually yeah. we can then put into little blocks for our own lives. For the effing amateurs. The effing really? amateurs, <laughs> you know. Um, and actually, I was, I mean, my brother works in, in wellness. I mean, he, he works in, you know, setting up spas and gyms and, and all sorts of stuff has for years. And I was, ta- I was ta- told him I did the Couch 5K. He was like, no, 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 it's all about, it's all about the resistance and strength training now. So he knows yeah. about it because he's yeah. in that world. And then I did see, and I'm not much of a one for looking at these exercise people on Instagram because I think you can go down madness world in there. But I see Jennifer Aniston's doing like a, a sort of this type of exercise mm. as well so it's filtering through mm. I mean at some point Davina will do it won't she I'd, watch, I mean? I'd w- happily watch Jennifer Aniston <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you would she did look <laughs> great she looked fantastic and creatine I think we're going to definitely the get the creatine well, monohydrate uh-huh. absolutely it's half a teaspoon a day I think she yeah said. that's right yeah, yeah definitely Right, well, thank you. That's it for this episode of Effin Hormones. We will be back with you in a month or so. Do check out effinhormones.com and if you can chuck us a couple of quid our way to help make the podcast, we'd be really, really grateful. Just scroll down until you see Be an Effin Star, click on the star, and that will take you to our GoFundMe page. Right, see you later, gang. Love you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.